0: So by way of background, Isaiah 40 introduces a whole new section to the book of Isaiah. In short, the harsh message of judgment for Israel that God gave to Isaiah in chapter 6 and played out in chapters 1 to 39 has been fulfilled through the Assyrian invasion and the Babylonian deportation into exile. And now at the beginning of chapter 40 comes a message of restoration for Israel that involves Israel's homecoming from exile. The homecoming becomes a theme for the chapters to follow. So, our reading taken from the NRSV, and I have given uh, titles uh, just to help us understand the context a little bit more. And it begins when God gives the following instructions to his heavenly council chamber of angels, announcing this turn of events. Comfort, O comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, and that she has received double from the Lord's hand, double for all of her sins. And then next an angelic voice responds, saying in effect, well, if God has said it, we better get ready. So a voice, an angelic voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then another voice calls for a herald to speak. An ordinary human being like you and me. A voice says, cry out, and the prophet responds as he did in Isaiah chapter 6, well what shall I cry Lord? But then unlike Isaiah 6, this time Yahweh's answer involves a comforting message of good news, but first a lesson on perspective, and it's an important one for us in our culture or any other culture. All people are grass, Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely, people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And here for the second time, we have this theme introduced, which actually is the motto of Wycliffe College. On that crest that you uh, may purchase from the development office, it says in Latin, verbum domini manet, and that is the word of the Lord abides, which is a key theme. Now comes the canticle, and it's an elaboration on the theme of good news, and it calls us into service. And here's what the canticle says. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings, Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother of sheep. This is Canticle number four from the BAS, and we're going to talk about it in a little bit more detail after I pray. And with this, the homily proper begins. Let us pray. Gracious God, uh, use us as your heralds in keeping with your will. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a... an Anglican seminary graduate which some of you who are a little bit older will know the name of and some of you who are younger might not know the name of. Terry Waite. Terry Waite uh, in the mid to late 1980s was the envoy to the Archbishop of Cranbury. A little humor there. I think sometimes we Anglicans can take ourselves and our pomp and ceremony a little too seriously. He was the envoy of the Archbishop of Canterbury who then Uh, was Archbishop Runcie, and there were troubles in the Middle East, as there usually are, and Runcie sent Terry Waite to be kind of a mediator, to, to try to bring peace and to resolve the situation. And as I thought about the story of Terry Waite, it reminded me of Isaiah. Isaiah was this young theological graduate who wanted to serve God and who thought he had been given a message of peace like Terry Waite, but like Terry Waite, he found that his ministry initially was very different. Terry Waite, as many of us know, was captured by Hezbollah and he spent some 1,700 days in captivity, um, helpless. Most of his time was spent in solitary confinement. Well, that was the situation of Isaiah, you remember from his call in chapter 6. He's ready to go and execute his mission and here's what his mission is. (laughs) The whole situation is hopeless and judgment is coming. Well, the situation changes in chapter 40, and now Isaiah gets to preach a message of good news because her time of judgment is over. And so now comes the message that Isaiah can preach, and it's one of comfort. It's one that speaks tenderly. Uh, It oozes with the compassion of God. And as we look at verses 9 to 11, I want us to notice a few things as we ourselves think about being, uh, and here's the title of our homily, fearless heralds fearless spokespeople for God. Well, let's notice a few things quickly. First of all is the conviction of the herald. The conviction of the herald is that despite all of the cynicism that could have arisen from the Babylonian captivity, the deportation of Israel, the Assyrians coming and wiping out the country, Isaiah had been given this conviction, and that is God is still in control in spite of the mess, and what he says will come true. And so I think that uh, as kind of a baseline conviction for us as prospective heralds of Jesus Christ, we do well to remember that human kingdoms and we ourselves are transitory. We're like that flower that kind of blooms, and then before long, it's gone. Um, uh, When I was uh, in school, I had a crush on a very uh, pretty Danish girl, and uh, she just captivated me. And I saw a picture of her the other day, uh, well into her 60s. And as with the rest of us, the flower has bloomed a little bit. There's not a whole lot of, you know, sort of uh, desire generating uh, towards her these days, uh, at least for people who don't know her and just simply look at her appearance. That's who we are. That's who Babylon is. That's who Assyria is. Uh, We're transitory human beings. The Adolf Hitlers and the Saddam Husseins and the prominent preachers come and go. But one thing stands forever and that is the Word of God. So let me add to that conviction, a conviction uh, relating to the authority of Scripture, because it's crucial. Now come some things that I think are challenging, at least for me as an Anglican, and that is the profile of the Herald, and it's on the the back of our page. (laughs) Go on top of a mountain and shout as loudly as you can, I mean, some of us became Anglicans to get away from that kind of a portrait of a preacher, didn't we? Where you sort of are jumping up and down on the stage and screaming at the top of your lungs. But God is telling us to get onto a high mountain and to proclaim to the church and the world (laughs) the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus proclaimed uh, that we uh, remember from the synagogue in Nazareth when he used Isaiah 61, which speaks of this same herald. And Jesus said that he had come in order to bind up the wounds of the afflicted, to give sight to the blind, and we're being called to be ambassadors of that message. And it's one that we're to share with the whole church. It's not just the incumbent who is to get on top of a high mountain and proclaim good tidings, but it's all of Zion, it's all of Jerusalem. So we lead the church to proclaim boldly. We do it with a kind of a loudness and a clarity that must be bold and that must be forthright however we couch it in our own Anglican ways of doing things. And then the disposition of the Herald is articulated in the second part of verse 9, where it says, or in the middle of verse 9, where it says, and it's almost like he's speaking to our culture, lift up your voice, do not be afraid. Interestingly, um, I talked to a student who um, works a lot with other international students, and um, He noticed that the international students, who were Christians, um, when they dealt with the Canadian Christians, it looked as though they kind of had a question mark on their forehead. And this friend said to the international student, what's on your mind? And he says, one thing I don't understand about you Canadians is you seem to be afraid. In my country, we have reason to be afraid to share the gospel, and in yours, you don't. But you're so timid. Here comes encouraging words. Lift up that voice and don't be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, say to the church, first of all, and to the whole world, second of all, the message. Here is your God. And to me, this comes as a helpful reminder because it's not about us. The message is not about the herald. The herald proclaims a message about someone, and that someone is the Lord God. And so the message continues, and it moves from us to God, which is the kind of focus we want to have. See, the Lord comes with might. His arm rules for him. His reward is with him. His recompense is before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. We experience the tender care of the one who comes to bring us comfort. You know, there's assurance here in that God is central, God is present, God is strong, God is sovereign, and God rewards those who serve Him. And it is not we who are the pastors. We are the heralds of the great pastor, Jesus Christ. You know, as I was reading this passage, I came to verse 27 where there was an alternative, and the alternative... Uh, to the Fearless Herald is a fickle heckler. Somebody who says, you know, God, he's not really here. Uh, Chaos rules. God doesn't know what he's doing. He's not around. And that cynical attitude, I think, can work its way even into the church. What about Terry Waite? Well, after about 1750 days, Terry Waite was released from prison. And he experienced a homecoming from the British people. An RAF jet came to pick him up at the Beirut airport. The pilots and the crew noticed that he didn't have a shirt or trousers or even shoes. Immediately they found a shirt and trousers for him. They stopped in Cyprus. He still didn't have shoes. His shoe size was size 14. But while he was in Cyprus... Somebody from the Navy found him a brand-new spanking pair of size 14 shoes and put it on Terry Waite, and when he got off that airplane in in England, he was wobbly, but he was dressed. The then uh, new Archbishop, Archbishop George Carey, um, uh, met him at the foot of the stairs, and he received uh, a tribute of flowers waving Union Jacks and was given this lovely occasion to speak about his ordeal. My friends, a pair of size 14 shoes, or whatever size you wear, maybe nice fancy heels that you've dreamed of, are waiting for you at the end of the road if you would be but a fearless herald. So in conclusion, I wonder if we could stand together and say uh, sort of a collect that I hope will be uh, something that we can say as a matter of conviction, and then uh, we will read the collect from the BAS. So join me in standing as we say together the words after the conclusion, if you will. And join me together. Lord, get me up to a high mountain as a herald of the good news of Jesus Christ. Use me to teach and equip the whole church to do the same. Grant me strength and courage to raise my voice loudly in both word and deed, to proclaim the good news which comes against the backdrop of judgment. Grant me faith and courage to announce to others on your behalf and at your bidding that you are present, sovereign, and glorious, that you have spoken through your word, which abides forever, and that you deeply care for each person, including me. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who himself is the good news. Amen.